All right, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you, God, for your goodness. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be here. God, it is a blessing, God, to be in here. God, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity nonetheless. God, do pray, Lord, for all these things that are coming up. God, I, I rem remember, God, Lord, that we do have our January meeting coming up. God, uh, Lord, it, it, we've already hit August, God, and, Lord, it just the time just goes by so fast. And, Lord, I remember my wife saying earlier today, God, that it won't be very long, but uh, January will be here. God, pray that you'd help us, God, to go ahead and start getting our minds wrapped around that and getting our hearts prepared. Pray that you'd do a work in our hearts. God, help us, Lord, to be ready to be a blessing to those folks that come. And God, help us to be ready to get a blessing. And God, Lord, just to get right smack dab in the middle of your will. God, I know, Lord, you've got work that you want to do in our hearts as individuals, as a church. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to figure out to get on board with you. God, that's the best way to live it, to, instead of expecting you to get on board with us. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, look in verse 22. The Bible said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. There's nine attributes there. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Uh, now, I may quote these things off the top of my head throughout this message and get them out of order because I've memorized them out of order and I'm trying to correct that. But if, if, uh, if I quote them out of order, please don't shoot me or anything like that. The fruit of the Spirit. Let me say first of all about the fruit of the Spirit that it is proprietary. These, this fruit of the Spirit is proprietary to the Holy Ghost. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not yours. It's not the fruit of your spirit. It's the fruit of the spirit, capital S. That's God's spirit. Now, let me, let me just make a couple of statements about that. Uh, you are to cleanse your spirit. And the Bible says in first, or I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to turn over there right quick. Feel free to turn over there with me if you like. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there is a cleansing that's supposed, that you are supposed to undergo. There's a cleansing that you are to subject yourself to regarding your own flesh, regarding your own spirit. And we can make a lot of comments about that. Let me just pause here for a second in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 and just make this comment. He said, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. I have often been prey to a mentality that, that is very, it's a very common notion. And I'm, I'm going to say this with as much caution as I possibly can, but I'm going to say it as truthfully as I can. There's a notion that is very prevalent that your flesh is no good. It will never be any good. God will not accept anything from your flesh, so forth and so on. There is an element, there is a large element of truth to that. There is a large element of that to where you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful. If you're not careful, you'll take that too far and say that anything that you ever do in your flesh is not going to be accepted by God, and then you're going to run into a problem. How are you ever going to do anything for the Lord? Because when I'm looking at you, you're not 
I'm not looking at your soul and I'm not looking at your spirit. I'm looking at your flesh. You're sitting here right in front of me. Well, the Bible goes on in Romans chapter 8 and it says, They that are in the flesh cannot please God. So what does that mean? Does that mean that all of us that are sitting here in, in our bodies this evening can't please God? No. He explains it in the next verse there in Romans chapter 8. He says, But ye are not in the flesh, if so be that the Spirit of Christ be in you. Is the Spirit of Christ in you? Okay, you've got to make that own attestation of whether or not you've been born again. If you're born again, the Spirit of God's inside of you. Well, you're still wrapped in this robe of flesh, and there is an aspect of this flesh that is no good. You know that because it's heading for a hole in the ground. But there's another aspect of that to where you have to cleanse it. You have to get it as clean as you can. Having, therefore, these promises, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. So there's, a, there's an aspect in which you are, to, you are to clean yourself up. That's something that's called personal sanctification, of which is tied to personal standards and personal holiness and personal righteousness. All the rules and the standards that a preacher gets up here and preaches to you folks ain't going to do you no good if you don't ever follow them like coming to church, putting money in the plate, and shutting your mouth when you want to argue with your spouse, backbiting one another. You see those kind of things? All of that stuff, all of that stuff is not, all of that preaching is not going to do you any good unless you put it into action. Well, how do you put it into action? You've got to do that while you're in your body. Obedience. It's obedience. Okay. Well, not only filthiness of the flesh, but filthiness of the spirit. So even after you get saved, even after you get saved, there is an aspect in which your spirit has got some dirt to it. It's still unclean. Your responsibility is to clean those things up. You've got to get clean. And so the means that it gives here, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Well, you've been given some promises. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, uh, we've been given promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Well, you availed yourself of one of those promises when you got saved, when you trusted Christ as your Savior. You availed yourself of those promises. Well, there's still many more promises that you can avail yourself of as a Christian and as you avail yourself of those promises, there's cleansing that takes place, cleansing of the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and then there's something that comes along with that, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So when you get over here to Galatians chapter 5 to get back to the main subject of what we're trying to talk about, what I'm trying to preach to, about to you this evening, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Well, that's not the fruit of your spirit per se. That's the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. But if you back up for just a second and just think about it, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I've said this before here in this church, and, but I'll say it again because it's truth and, it's, and it's, good, it's, it's applicable for what I'm trying to get across to you tonight. Holiness, the word holiness, if you look it up in the dictionary, one of its definitions is whole, wholesome. Well, what you have when you're looking at the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5 is you have a situation to where you're dealing with 
parts of a whole. Love, that's part of a whole. Joy, that's part of a whole. Peace, that's part of a whole. Well, you could go all the way down and you could look at all nine of those attributes. When you put all of those things together, it produces a character. It doesn't, it's, it's not isolated attributes that we're trying to get from the Lord. It's one character that we get and it manifests itself in nine different ways. You know what I think a lot of Christians are trying to do? A lot of Christians, let me put it to you like this. A lot of Christians are going to the Lord in prayer and they're praying and saying, oh God, give me some love in my heart. That's a wrong thing to pray. Oh God, give me some peace in my heart. That's the wrong thing to pray. God, help me to be long-suffering. Wrong prayer. Okay, then what should I pray? God, help me to subject myself to the Holy Ghost. You subject yourself to the Holy Spirit, and what will come out of that is love, joy, peace, because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not... God is not Santa Claus. The Holy Ghost is not Santa. Santa does not exist. Sorry. No such thing as Santa. No such thing. You adults that are sitting in here and are sitting up and paying attention so well, no such thing as Santa. God's not Santa Claus. God's not going to come and drop love in your lap. God's not going to come and drop joy in your lap. God's not going to come and drop peace, gentleness, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. God's not coming to drop those things in your lap. When you get saved, you don't get love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. You say, then what do I get when I get saved? You get Jesus Christ. That's what you get. If you don't get Jesus Christ when you professedly, when you made a profession of faith and you say you got saved, if you didn't get Jesus Christ, you didn't get saved. Which explains, which explains a lot of the reason of why we deal with what we deal with in church. I've been mulling this thing over today, between today and yesterday, and I'm really convinced more and more a lot of the problems of what we're dealing with out of church, folks, is because people have never been born again. They've just never been saved. You try and, you try and get people corralled into church and try to get them to a state of mind to where they want to be in church and to where they want to be around God's people. They want to be around the preaching of the truth. And you constantly have to badger people to do that. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Uh, I, I, Brother Spike said it the best on Sunday morning uh, during Sunday school. He said it the best I've heard it said in probably the last couple of weeks. He was talking about standards, something along those veins, standards, convictions, whatnot. And he said, what's wrong with that? That's a, that's a wonderful argument. That's something wonderful to think about. I know that there are a lot of preachers, I know of a lot of preachers personally, that say uh, women can't wear pants. And they pull out the verse out of Leviticus, I forget what chapter it is, Thou shalt, woman's not to wear that which pertaineth to a man. Well, personally, I've never put on a pair of, uh, of tights. I've personally never put on a pair of woman's jeans. Uh, so, come on, use, use your head. But at the same time, if a preacher gets up in this pulpit and says, you ladies better quit wearing pants, I'm not at all going to be offended by that. 
You say, you say why, would, why would you not be offended by that? Because if it's, if it's true, if it's true, then what am I going to say? If it's not true, I don't, I don't feel like I'm being attacked because I know it's not true. You see how simple that is? If it's true, I'm willing to look at it and say, hey, that's true and I'm wrong. But see, in an unregenerate man, in, in somebody that's never been born again, there's something in his heart that hates it when the light is turned on. John chapter 3, men do not come to the light lest their deeds should be reproved. The reason that a fellow will not come to Christ, the reason that he won't come to Christ is because he doesn't want God to reflect on his evil deeds and say, you're wrong. And so he just, when God calls for him, he runs. When God puts a little light on the subject, when God sheds a little truth out there, he just turns it right away and says, no thanks, and he runs the other direction. Well, in that same passage in John chapter 3, in John chapter 3, when the light turns on, if a man's walking in the light as he is in the light, according to 1 John chapter 1, when a man's walking in the light the way that God's walking in the light, he's not afraid of God reflecting on him and saying, hey, you need to get this right. Why? Because he wants to get closer to God. Something's wrong. Something's wrong when a preacher gets up and starts raking people over the coals and people start squirming in their seat and then start fussing under their breath and saying, what right does he think he's got to tell me how, how I ought to live? You're not even asking the right question. Amen. Something's, something's amiss. Something's not right. And so I think a large part of what we're dealing with, I think a large part of what we're dealing with in Christian churches, in Baptist, independent Bible-believing Baptist churches is we're dealing with folks that aren't saved. I was watching a camp meeting last night. Made a grand mistake of staying up last night and watching a camp meeting over in Waycross with C.T. and Sean Tab, which is always a mistake. Get upset about that if you want to. I don't think anybody in here will get upset, but anybody that's listening out in La La Land, you get upset about that stuff. But the constant thing that's constantly preached is, holding on to bitterness and you've got to get over your depression and you've, you've got to get past this bitterness because you're not going to have victory in your life and so forth and so on. Uh, Alan Jones made a statement. Some of you folks, probably most of you folks don't know who Alan Jones is, but Alan Jones made a statement at a camp meeting years ago and I've never forgotten the statement. And it is, he said this, he said, I'm discouraged with all of this encouragement. Something's wrong, folks. When we've got to constantly pamper and pet and prod folks to continue to be Christians, there is something that's missing under the hood, so to speak. If there's not something in your heart that wants to propel you and take you towards a life of holiness, there's something wrong. And so for you to get down and say, God, I need love, I need joy, I need long-suffering, but I'll do without the gentleness I'll do without the peace. You see what I'm saying? People are cherry-picking from God. God, I need victory over my depression. Well, okay, what about victory over your drunkenness? No thanks. Well, sorry, I don't have a beard. The Lord's speaking. I don't have a beard. I'm not wearing a red suit. My name's not Santa. It's me or nothing. It's me or nothing. It's God or nothing. 
You get Jesus Christ. If you want salvation, if you want deliverance from the disaster that you have made in your life, you've got to go to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, you get love. You get joy. You get peace. You get long-suffering. You get all of those things. You say, are you saying that people don't grow in the Christian life? Not saying anything about that. I'm not saying that you don't grow. I understand. I understand that as a young Christian, you probably don't have as much patience towards people as you ought to. Of course, I've, I've, I've been saved for however long I've been saved, since I was seven, and I still don't have the patience that I ought to with folks. Lord, but you know what? I've got some patience, and the Lord's working on me about that stuff. There's something on the inside that's producing it. There's, there's somebody on the inside that is working those characteristics in my life. And listen, as bad as you are and as much as you fail, listen, as much as you fail, as much of a disaster as you make in your life through your disobedience to the Holy Spirit, God dealing with you, God convicting you in your heart and you saying, not now, just let me go on a little bit further and just making up whatever excuse you can come up with, whatever the case may be, I guarantee you, if you'd be honest with yourself, you can see an aspect of every single one of these things in your life from the point at which you got saved. You know what meekness is? That's being able to deal with things with an unruffled temper. I've got more meekness now than I did 10 years ago. I still don't have near as much as I should, but I've got more now than I did 10 years ago. Same thing with temperance. I've got more temperance now than I did two years ago. Oh, see, I see, I understand that those things develop, but the way that those things develop is not that I get hooked up with God and God hands those things down to me as individual packages. I get those things developed in my heart by subjecting myself to a personal, private relationship with the Holy Ghost. God deals with my heart. God works on me. God shows me the sin that's in my heart. I acknowledge the sin, and I say, yes, sir, I'm wrong, and then I obey. And as I obey, God takes love. God takes joy. God takes peace. God takes long-suffering. All of those things that are represented there in the text, and he works them. He works them into my heart and life. That's victory. That's That's victory. So anyways, I've blown my notes all to pieces, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, not a, it's a single fruit. It's not nine fruits. It's one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, it's not the only way I can think of, the only way that I can think of to describe this is to give you an illustration from fertilizer for a garden. Most of your fertilizers that you go and grab from a garden, like from Ace, you've got potash, nitrogen, and I believe it's potassium, something like that. But there's three of them. Well, when you open up those, when you open up those fertilizers, what you're looking at in those things, in that bag of fertilizer, is you're looking usually, not all the, all the time, but usually what you're looking at is individual packets. You're looking at individual pieces of a pot, 
a little bit of potash here, a little bit of nitrogen here, a little bit of potassium here, a little bit of this here, a little bit of that there. That's how those fertilizers are mixed together. But there is one fertilizer to where they take all three of those nutrients and trace minerals and crush them up and make pellets out of them. And when you take one pellet, you have some of all three of those ingredients. You understand that concept? Well, when you get the Holy Ghost, when you have the Spirit of God operating in your life, you've got all nine of the attributes down in there already. The only reason that you're not seeing it in your life, if you're not, if you're not seeing it at all, if, you, if you're not seeing it at all, I'd question whether or not you're saved. That's between you and the Lord. I'm going to back up and say this. If you're not seeing any of those things manifest in your life, I'd be praying about that thing and asking God about your salvation. Maybe you've got a skewed view of what love and joy and peace is. Maybe you just don't understand that stuff. But I'd be wondering about that stuff. If you can't love other people and you don't have any peace in your heart ever, always troubled, always worried, no joy, no long-suffering anywhere, so, well, I don't have as much long-suffering as I should with my church. Do you have long-suffering with your kids? Do you have long-suffering with your dogs? I mean, come on. You see what I'm saying? Well, the Lord produces that stuff in your heart. God, because what God's doing is God's not, just, God's not just giving you attributes like candy. God is working. He's reworking a fallen nature. He's, and I say reworking a fallen nature. He's re reworking a character. You had a character that was made up from your fallen, Adamic, wicked, rotten nature. God! Through regeneration is, has, is beginning to rework that character if you submit yourself to him, if you'll be obedient to his word. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the fruit, the fruit that shows up is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That fruit, all of those things put together, that's something that's called holiness. And holiness defined, I've already said this, it's wholesomeness. It's the whole You've got nine parts. You put them all together. What you have is holiness. Well, holiness in the Old Testament is manifested in two aspects. It's manifested negatively and it's manifested positively. It's, negative, it's manifested in the negative sense as separation from some things. In the tabernacle, when God made something holy, when something was said to be holy, that was to be used for God's service and God's service alone. It's holy. The brazen altar, it's holy. You don't come and make a campfire on the brazen altar. You don't come and barbecue your pork ribs on the brazen altar. That's for sacrifices for God's service. The table of showbread, that's not a table for you to come down and sit at and just strike up a dinner and just have good old time in the holy place. That's a place that has six loaves of bread, two rows of six, 66, by the way, represents your Bible. But there it is. That's some, it has a specific service. You say, what's its service? For the Lord. It's holy. When, when Aaron was pulled from the rest of the Israelites and he was dedicated and he was consecrated to God's service, he was said to be holiness. He had a sign on his forehead, a plate that he wore. It said holiness to the Lord. It's holy. Well, see, you're separated. You're separated from the rest of the world and you're separated from sin, but it's not just separation from something. It's separation unto some things. Holiness unto 
the Lord. A lot of folks get the separation part down, the separation from some things down. And they make it a mark of their spirituality to say, well, I don't do this, therefore I must be spiritual. Well, that's not, that's not the only measure of your spirituality. Just because you don't chew and you don't drink and you don't smoke does not necessarily mean you're spiritual. A lot of Catholic folks don't chew, drink, and smoke. But they're not very spiritual. There is a lot of them just as wicked and rotten as the day is long. Same thing with a lot of Christians. You say, what makes the difference? Separation from some things and separation to something else. That's holiness. Well, that manifests its, it, itself in your life in a particular way. You say, what particular way? Love. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering. You know why some folks never see this stuff pop up in their life? They will not get away from the influence of the world. Won't do it. You know why some folks get away from the world and still don't see this stuff manifest in their life? Because they never pick up a Bible. They never pray. Okay, yeah, I'll drop, I'll drop the Elvis records. I'll drop the Beach Boys and the Beatles. God help you if you listen to that mess. Do what? Leave that, leave that to your imagination. You, okay, so you drop all that stuff. You drop all that stuff. When's the last time you picked up your Bible then? When's the last time you dedicated yourself to telling somebody about Jesus Christ, about the death, burial, and resurrection of the lovely Lamb of God? Paul said you're supposed to be separated unto the gospel of God, Romans chapter 1. Paul said that's what he was. Okay, well, if you're not willing, you're willing to separate yourself from some things, but if you're not willing to separate yourself to some things, why would you expect for this stuff to show up in your life? It's not going to. You have not subjected yourself to the Holy Ghost. And let me just get as honest and as real. It's been very, very dull in here for a little while. Maybe the Lord's doing something in your heart, but by looking at your face, feel like, and by feeling the vibe in here, feels like you're about to fall asleep. Let me just get as real with you as I possibly can. I suspect that some of you folks sitting in here tonight have done your best to separate yourself from some things. But the place where you struggle, the place where you struggle is in separating yourself to the Lord. Your struggle, your struggle is not in that you've separated yourself. I, sure, I can put myself away from that stuff. I can just stay home, not let any of that trash into my home. But the struggle comes in is when you've got to get up in the morning or you've got to set some time aside at night to pick up that Bible and have some fellowship with God. Yes, sir. The struggle comes in when God starts dealing with you and says, hey, why don't you pray? And so you look at your watch and you say, okay, okay. Lord, I pray you bless this food. And that's it. And then you wonder why you lose, you lose your mind when your husband or your wife does something that you don't appreciate them doing. Well, you haven't separated yourself to the Lord. Separate, cut some things out. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Listen, I am not, I do not have a green thumb, but I do know one or two things about plant life. 
I know this. You can cut off as much as you want to off of a bush and off of a branch, all that stuff. You can cut off as much as you want to. But if you don't give that thing some water and you don't come by and fertilize it every once in a while, and if it doesn't rain every once in a while, that thing, it doesn't matter how much you cut off of it, it's going to shrivel up and die. Well, here you've got a bunch of Christians that are cutting stuff off, and that's great. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. But if all you're doing is cutting stuff off but never putting anything in its place, you're going to die. You are going to shrivel up and die. You stay right on this threshold. Listen, you stay right on this threshold of, I've come out of Egypt, but I'm not yet willing to get into Canaan. You say, why? Because if I go into Canaan, I have to fight. So you're content to sit in the wilderness. You're content to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And you've been delivered from Egypt. You've been delivered from the world. You've got some victory in your life over things that you needed to drop out of your life. But you're not willing to actually get in the fight. And so as a result, every time somebody talks to you, it's always the same thing that you heard out of Israel. Murmuring and complaining. Well, listen, buddy, it ain't nobody's fault that you ain't in Canaan. It ain't nobody's fault but yours. Quit being lazy. Quit, quit living in unbelief. That's why Israel wouldn't go into Israel or into the land of Canaan. Yeah, I know God took us out of Egypt. I know that God delivered us from Egypt. But I just, there's so much stuff in in Canaan that I've got to get victory over and I just don't think that we can do it. There's no kidding. That's why God said, if you trust me, I'll help, I'll take care of it for you. All you got to do is just march around the walls of Jericho and I'll take care of the rest. Okay? All you got to do is just start picking up your Bible. Just make one step. Pick up your Bible on a daily basis. Just pray on a daily basis. Just try and find somebody to be a gospel witness to on a regular basis. I'll start leading you along. I'll start producing in your heart love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Those things will start to show up. Now, let me say one more thing, and I'll let you go. This is the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's one fruit. It's not nine. Those are nine attributes of one divine character that is to be reworked in your life the same way that it was worked in the life of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You understand that? Okay, so what you're not going to have show up in your life and you're going to be able to call it the fruit of the Spirit, you're not going to be able to have love show up in your life as an isolated thing. In other words... I love, therefore I have to be hooked up with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's great. It's great that you love, but Amnon loved his half-sister Tamar, and he abused her. Hope I don't have to go into too much detail, but you understand, he did, he did dastardly deeds. You can look at that word love all throughout the Scripture. Just because somebody loves does not mean that they're hooked up with the Holy Ghost. So how do you determine what real love is, whether or not love is right or not? Love hooked up with joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. Is it a meek love? Is it a joyous love? Is it a long-suffering love? 
I love my wife. Okay, are you long-suffering with her? I love so-and-so. Okay, do you have any peace in your heart? Maybe what you're really doing is you're trying to manipulate them. Could be. Not, not saying that's the case. I have joy in my heart. Well, really? Okay, where's your peace? Do you still have that joy when preachers preaching about sin? Do you still have joy when somebody's absolutely rattling your cage and you've got to put up with them? You've got to be drawn out long-suffering. You've got to be drawn out to your breaking point and not break. That's what long-suffering is, by the way. Suffer a long time. Do you have joy with that? Is your joy, is it a joy of temperance? You see, these things go together. They're not isolated things. You say, why? Because it's one spirit. It's one spirit. It's not, it's not isolated things. They're things that go together. So you've got love. Well, one of the things that, char the things that char characterize that love is meekness and temperance and faith and goodness. 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 One fellow looks at another fellow and says, I just love him. Where's the goodness? There ain't no goodness there. That's perversion. You see, you see how that stuff works? Same thing with meekness. Okay, well, a lot, of folks, a lot of folks are meekness, but it's not really meek. It's timidness. It's timidity. You're bashful. You're shy. You're a pushover. That's not meekness. That's not meekness. Meekness is associated with love. Well, one of the things that you know about love is that the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 14, I believe it is, let your love be without dissimulation. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Love is not going to make you be a pushover. Love will make you stand flat-footed and look somebody in the eye and say, look, I love you. That's wrong. You say, what is it? That's love. That's love coupled with meekness, but you flip it around, you've got meekness coupled with love. If you say, well, I'm not going to say anything to them because I know it's going to upset, it's just going to upset the apple cart, that's not meekness. That's cowardice. Some of you folks sitting in here have had to make some strong calls with your family. God bless you for that. God bless you for that. I'm afraid as we go on, you're going to have to make some more, some more significant calls. Make them. God, I pray the Lord to give you the grace and the guts to do so. Make them. Make them. I'm not saying that you've got to be a jerk, but at the same time, at the same time, I just, I, I, don't, I just don't think it would be right to say anything because the Bible says I'm supposed to be meek. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to have love, joy, and peace too. And if your meekness is getting you back into a spot to where you ain't got no peace because you ain't obeyed your conscience about the thing, it's not meekness. You're coward. You see how those things work together? The devil will take those things. He'll take the very thing that you're supposed to aspire to have in your heart. He'll take the very character and the attributes that God is supposed to reproduce in your heart, and he'll use that to muzzle you. So what do you do? You've got to look into the Scripture and see it. It, there's a bigger picture to it. It's a bigger t picture to it. Let me say this. I'll let you go. 
You take those nine attributes, you take that holiness, and you know what's true about all those things? They operate in the context of one thing, truth. Love, joy, peace. You take all of those nine attributes and cram them together, and you know what you have out of the midst of all that? You have a character. You have something that is holy operating in the context of the truth. Well, you know, the Bible says obey the laws of the land, so therefore I just think we should just stay home and not, you know, not go to church because of everybody's going to get a virus and the government's... You want to open up the Bible and let's really talk about what that means? Rome, I know where you got it from, Romans chapter 13, but it don't quite mean, it's not quite saying exactly what you're saying. Yes, sir. I'll be willing to talk to you about that stuff. That's not what the Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say you're supposed to be a pushover. We've got to, you say, what do you have to do? You've got to subject yourself to God's truth. That's the scope of those nine attributes that manifest itself in a character of holiness. And if, if you're... Mama and daddy don't like that, and your grandma and your grandpa don't like that, then all that means is that they've been deceived by the God of this world into thinking that holiness is something other than it is. They've been deceived into thinking that love is something other than what it is. Witness to them. Can you do that? Do you know enough? Amen. Amen. Lord, pray, God, you help the folks tonight. God, pray that you bless this service, Lord. I know, God, it's real quiet in here. I pray, Lord, that folks would go away and think about this stuff, Lord. This is stuff, God, that's a matter of life and death. It really is not something to play around with, God. Anytime we deal with spiritual truth, God, this is something, Lord, that we've got to give serious consideration to because the implications ride us out into eternity. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us, God, to trust the Word of God. And, Lord, let the Word of God reign, reign supreme in our life. God, help us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to have a humble heart towards Thee. God, Lord, we oftentimes try to take a humble attitude. But, Lord, it's a, it's a humble attitude under the guise of being humble toward other people. And what that often translates to is into a fear of man instead of a fear of God. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to get our priorities straight. Help us, Lord, to love you first and then love others. God, if we get those two things backwards, God, it has grave, grave implications of idolatry. Pray you help us with these things. God, bless these folks that are here. God, pray that you'd give them some understanding. Bless them, God, throughout the rest of the week. Pray that you'd bless us on Sunday as we come back. Lord, excited, God, to be here uh, Lord, on Sunday, Lord, be honest, don't really want to dismiss tonight. God, I enjoy preaching. I enjoy being in this place. I pray, pray, God, that you bless this church. God, bless everything that's going on here. God, pray that you'd have the glory and honor that you rightfully deserve. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.